0: there is uh that marathon, if you were up early enough with all the road closures, right the mountains to beach marathon that that is an annual occurrence here and and you know all the people that have spent months training, prepping to run this marathon right and 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 I was thinking that you know what that's kind of like this race that. That we're called to run, right? In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Right? And this analogy, this Olympic analogy, this picture is is pretty common, and, and we're called to run, The, the falling Jesus is a marathon. We're, we're called to run this race. And, and it got me thinking back in high school, I ran the four by one relay and we did pretty well. So we made it to CIF County. And, and I remember the morning of we went, we had to travel into North County in San Diego. So all the big schools are there. We're there. And we're warming up and all the other teams are out there. And, uh, one of the guys on our team just kind of seemed out of it. Just kind of seemed in a funk. Just kind of like there, but not really there, kind of off by himself. And, and I was just kind of watching him the whole time and, and you know, try to have conversation. Oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. But he just was just kind of half hearted. Right. And I remember it dawned on me that I think I know what was going on because we had done pretty well in our league to get to where we were. But suddenly we were at the county CIF. And I think what got into his head is he started to look at everybody else. Because our school wasn't, we weren't the big school division. We were kind of like a medium school division, but all the big schools were there. And so he started to look at the other teams. And when he got focused on the other teams, he went into a tailspin. He quit, even before the race. And he was in this funk well, you would stretch and doing the warm ups, and we're kind of doing what we need to do. But his body language, everything in him said, What's the point? Let's just do this and get this over with. What's the point? Right? And I remember I, I ran third leg, and he was first leg. And I remember, and I, to this day, I think it it, 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 it's still very fresh because I'm very competitive. It, um, <laughs> it torques me 30 years later. 35 years later, it's still torqued as if I'm watching him because I was third leg, and I'm watching the start, and I saw him start, and I, he just quit. We were, we were done. Two steps in the race, we were done because he was just kind of loafing. He just – he didn't even – I know him, and he just was going through the motions, and, you know, So so, you know, I'm just – by the time it gets to me, it's what's, you know, like, what's the point for me? We're, we're so far behind because he quit. And I think of that sometimes, and I thought of that today with the, the marathon thing, and I wonder how much, how many of us as believers in our race, sometimes, because you lose focus, you just quit. Now, you don't quit on Jesus. You wouldn't say, you would still say, I'm a Christian, and yeah, I go to church, and, and I read my Bible, but deep in your heart, you're just going through the motions. You're not engaged in it. You're not fully vested anymore. You're just kind of slid into, and you're happy that your name's written in the book of life. You're happy that you arrived. You're happy that you're, you're surrounded by nice people now. Right? And now you have some new friends, and you get to sit in a comfortable building, and you're just kind of like riding it out because you're happy you're not where you used to be, and you just are cruising. Right? How many of us just quit. Just You're not fully vested. You're not into it anymore. You're, you're just going through the motions. Just going through the motions, right? And, 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 and so there's this issue of him losing his, his focus, losing his joy, using his, losing his enthusiasm. He also lost his confidence. He also lost his confidence. Like I said, we weren't the biggest school, so there were some big, what we call the big dogs were around. The ones you read in the newspaper, they're, they're walking around warming up, and you're like you're you're in high school right i remember freshman year at ucla i was at the summer program and then all the the top recruits that ucla the freshman football players arrived at the cafeteria to have and i'm like you were in high school like three months ago like trees walking around that just like my age right and you can be dwarfed by them. And and he lost his confidence. And how many of you, how many how, have you have you lost your confidence in God? Now you won't say that outright, but it's how you live. You just lost your confidence. And you, you're treading water, you really you sort of believe, you wanna believe, you wanna, but you don't have that confidence anymore. You're not fully in the game. You're not in the game. You're just sort of playing it out because you're supposed to play it out, right? And we're talking about that, and I thought about that in light of this, this series on living hope, right? The truth of the resurrection, right? First Peter 1, 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, right? New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this supernatural event called the resurrection imp- is supposed to impact us every day because we have a supernatural living hope. Amen? So. We are supposed to be living a supernatural life based on a supernatural historical event. That is a far cry from just kind of going through the motions. Because we chucked it. Because something happened. We lost our focus. Somebody said something. We got hurt. We did this. We're living in the past. All this stuff. And now we just are just kind of, eh, eh, here's a baton, eh, right? Let's just call it good. Why? What? What's the point? And yet that verse pierces us because this supernatural event called the resurrection is supposed to supernaturally impact you and me. Wake up every morning and say, Lord, I have the opportunity to live supernaturally. Supernaturally. Through who? The power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? God, third person of the Trinity, where does the Holy Spirit indwell believers? Where? Oh, I just gave it away. Where is the Holy Spirit? <laughs> if you're a believer, where is the Holy Spirit? In you, right? The Bible says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so in this room, there are some supernatural beings. In this room. I don't get if you don't get That doesn't lit, light you up. You got to check yourself. The third, thank you. The third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. I'm done. (laughs) I mean, what? You gotta chew on this stuff. You gotta, do you believe it, right? We've been, we talked about the element of faith, believing. You gotta act on this. If you don't act on it, it's just head knowledge, just going in and out. And you're just going, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh yeah, I agree, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. And all of a sudden, your Christianity is about assenting. It's not about living, it's assenting. I assent, I assent, I assent, I assent. Right? That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about, right? We saw this quote by Wayne uh, Wayne Grudem. Such hope and great blessings when Christ returns not only encourages downcast Christians, it also prompts a reordering of priorities to God's agenda and inevitably leads to ethical changes in one's life. So here's the deal. This supernatural resurrection is supposed to give us, has given us a supernatural living hope that's supposed to impact us supernaturally every day, which means that we're supposed to be seeking God and living according to his agenda every day. Right? It's a supernatural life. It's a supernatural life. And we said, Okay, so so how do you do this? Right? And we're we're gonna, gonna try to make it kind of practical, right? Boots on the ground. Colossians three, we saw this last week. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above that are set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says, hey, you've been raised with Christ, right? You died, your life is hidden with Christ, right? First Peter said you have a new birth. Therefore, you should do some things. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. I love the uh, New Living Translation. says this, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. See, this is a very present tense. He says, hey, right now, if you're in Christ, you've been raised. Right now, Jesus sits at the right hand of his Father. So right now, it says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven. So, quick survey. In the last seven days since we last looked at this verse, if you were to do a thought journal... What percentage of this week did you spend thinking about the realities of heaven? What percentage of your thought life were you thinking about the things of heaven? Or I'll flip it. In the last seven days, how many of you were consumed of the things of earth? Bills, struggles, health, weather, jobs, retirement. Right? So we're supposed to live this living hope. He says, hey, it's not a secret. He's not hiding it from us. He says, first step, seek the things that are above. Set your mind to things above. So you want to start living this supernatural life? Ask yourself, what do you spend most of your time thinking about? What do you spend most of your time rehearsing, remembering, rehashing? And if you're like me, most of the time, it's about me. What I think, what I feel. What I like, what I dislike, what I agree with, what I disagree with. Most of my thoughts are really about me. Right? But he says, don't do that. Think about the things of heaven. Set your mind on things above. Right? And the crazy thing is, when you're a new believer, he gives you the ability to do that. It says, now you have the mind of Christ. What is it? The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? It means you are able to understand spiritual things. Right? The Bible says once you were spiritually dead, now you're spiritually alive. When you were spiritually dead, you know what the Bible says? The stuff of the Bible was foolishness. How many of you, before you were a believer, someone tried to share scripture with you and you thought they were crazy? You believe that stuff? That's dumb. That's a myth. That's a book. That's just philosophy. Right? Why? Because you were spiritually dead. You didn't get it. That's what the Bible says. Things of the Spirit are foolishness to those who are perishing, right? Suddenly, how many of you put your faith in Jesus, you became born again, spiritually alive. How many of you said, I understand the Bible now. I get it. This is real. Where does that come from? Spiritual life. Not from you. That's spiritual life, right? You had the mind of Christ. You're able to see things. You're able to discern things. You're able to pray and have the Holy Spirit actually kind of lead you and direct you. You're spiritually alive, right? You have the mind of Christ. David Guzik says this, the best Christian living comes from minds that are fixed on heaven. So you want to start living this living hope? Start spending the majority of your time thinking about the things of heaven. Now, kind of easier said than done, and, we, and I shared this because we have this dual citizenship. We're, we're citizens of heaven, but we're citizens down here too, Right? And I shared with you the four-eyed fish, right? I love this because this is us. If you weren't here, this is called the four-eyed fish. He spends most of his time or she spends most of her time on the surface. Each eye has two pupils. That's why it's called the four-eyed fish. The ones at the top look up. So Mr. Hawk and Mr. Eagle don't come around. The ones on the bottom half, they look down for where it's going to eat. So this four-eyed fish, I love God, right? God says, okay, Christians, let me explain how you live on this planet. You're a four-eyed Christian. You look up and you look down at the same time. Now, how many of us tend to find it easier to look down? Most of our time is looking down. And we're, oh, we come, up, we come up on Sundays. Oh, all right, see you next week. And we dive right back down. We close these eyes. Right, We just close these eyes, and every once in a while, well, prayer, we'll, we pop it up. You know, We're like this. This one's open all the time, and this one's doing this. The key to living your living hope is to have them both open all the time. Now, that's kind of challenging, but that's the truth of who you are in Christ. You have the ability to see and discern spiritual truths, eternal realities, spiritual realities, as you walk on this planet. Now, as you do that, here's the crazy thing. The world is watching, and it's supposed to draw them to God. Remember, it says in Peter, always be ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope you have. As you and I are walking this living hope with joy and enthusiasm and confidence, that's the draw. Someone should look at your life as a believer and go, how are you doing this? Because everyone at work is discouraged And everyone I talk to is watching the news, and they're just angry, and there's no hope for this country anymore, and everyone's just all in despair, and they're depressed, and they're sad, and they're angry out there. How are you just kind of floating around out here? That's the witness. That's called being salt and light, just in who you are all the time, because you're living a supernatural life. You're living a supernatural life, right? And... And we're like, okay, so, so you have this. Now you have to get this in your mind. I have this ability. The next question is, what do you choose to do with this ability? It's one thing to have it. It's another thing to use it like you're supposed to. Right? And so I shared with you last Sunday, if you weren't here, right, this compass from Pirates of the Caribbean. Jack Sparrow had a compass. It wasn't a compass that pointed north. It wasn't a magnetic compass, right? It was a compass that pointed to what Jack Sparrow wanted most in the world at that moment. Right. And if you saw the movie, sometimes it pointed to treasures. Sometimes it pointed to Elizabeth Swan, Right. Kind of outed him. So Jack Sparrow's compass kind of he could control it. If he said, I really want that treasure. I want that lost treasure. I want that last treasure. He could control where the needle pointed. Now, sometimes he would say something, but it would out him because it knew his heart what he really wanted most was elizabeth swan right it was an outing it's kind of like i can control it but it's going to out me too right and so i shared with you that i went and got me one and and i asked the question right let's use elder bill come here elder bill so bill's an elder at the church here if you don't know great job tuesday nights oh you got a yay right (laughs) Hold that yay, because Bill's going to hold the compass and going to show us what he really wants most on this planet right now. Rote row, right? I know. How many of you would want a compass right now, if I put this in your hand and it actually did that? Would you really want all of us to know what you want most at this very moment? Because <laughs> we, we look really good on Sunday and we got it all together. But some of us want most our retirement planning to be where it needs to be. Some of us, thank you. Some of us want most, you know, relationships. Some of us want most. What do you want most? Because this compass, if it was a Jack Sparrow one or really one, not a Disney replica, it would out you. So in one sense, it would out you in a good way. But the other sense, you could say, wait, I can control this. I can actually choose to want Jesus most. That's what you have. That's that's why your life as a believer is not just this doop-de-doop-de-doop-de-do. You have power. You have the power of choice. Amen? You have the power to choose what you want most. You have the power to choose what you want most. And to have your spiritual compass, so to speak, point you there. Point you there. Now, if you were here last Sunday, we gave out these little compasses. And a bunch of you got them, and so we ordered more because I realized a bunch weren't here. We gave these out last Sunday, and they're going to be available again. These are for you to take. Now, there's, again, they're not magnetic. They're not going to point you where to go. It's just a reminder when you see it to ask yourself, what do I want most right now? Where's, where's my heart pointing right now? I have one on my desk. Some people took a few, Right. You might need one at work. You might need one at your house. You might need one in your car. Just when you see it, to ask yourself, where would my compass be pointing right now if it revealed what I'm really desiring? What's the true love of my life right now? Where's my heart set? Where's my mind thinking? What would your compass be revealing, right? And again, it's a good thing. It's a checkup, right? Because how many of you... ...would really want to live your living hope? How many of you that's like, I want to do that? I don't want to just loop de doo How many of you want to run to win? Right? Because it says 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, run in such a way that you obtain a prize. In other words, run to win. Running to win is a heart attitude. If you've ever played any sports, if you've been competitive, anything, you, rec- you recognize there's so much out of your control... ...whether or not you will win. But what is in your control... How you run, amen. How you run, whether you give a hundred percent, you can feel really good that I ran to win. Now, if you're running against Usain Bolt, the reality is you're not gonna win, but you can run to win, amen. That's the point. You see, when you get it, when you get there and you talk to your father, how many of you want to hear "Well done"? Well done, good and fair. How many want the well done? Well, the well done is going to be based on whether you ran to win. How you dealt with adversity. What you did with everything he gave you. He's checking how you run. There's so much out of your control. We tend to think, we have so much, I'm controlling everything. You you realize you and I have very little control. Very little control. We've all made our plans for the rest of the day. But you realize... Honestly, and this is not to scare anyone, you realize we don't know what's gonna happen. We really don't. You know, I read an article about all these little tremors off the Northern California coast. Is this a setup for the big one? Just this week, right? There's a bunch of tremors up in northern California off the coast, wondering if this is the big the big one for San Andreas and all through Southern California. And then I get really interested, so I watch this model. This <laughs> of what will happen and how long it will shake and the shock wave going from there all the way through Ohio and into LA and Sandy. I'm like you know, then I look on my phone, where's that prepper website? Because I'm like freaked out right now. We have very little control. We can control how we respond. We control our heart. We control our attitude. My friend at the track meet, he can control who else made the finals. He can control him. He could just control him, and at the end of the race, we could all felt good that as a team, we collectively gave 100%. That's what we hope when we get to heaven. You cheer people through. I don't know how it works, right? But we would all want to give a high five, right? Yeah. Woohoo Yeah! Yeah! Right? We did it. I love that. I love that, right? Because in Hebrews 12, it says there, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. I love this. Verse 2 and 3 talks about Jesus. He says, for the hope set before him, he endured today. All the way through the brutality of the cross. But according to that verse, what was his mind fixed on? The joy set before him. He's our perfect role model of living hope, of living Jesus, living God's will with a future expectation, being able to get me through the stuff of today. That's Jesus, right? But verse 1, we're going to focus on it, says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Who are they talking about? Well, in context, he's talking about Hebrew 11, what they call the Hall of Faith. Because all these Old Testament saints, all the people, if you you have time, read through Hebrews 11, just a list, a list of great saints, great examples of faith, right? It says he calls them a crowd of witnesses, to the life of faith. Now, here's the thing. Some people misinterpret that verse where it says, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, sometimes people say, Oh, so all these Old Testament saints, they're looking down on us. That's not really what that verse means. What it means is that their life, their example, bears testimony, is an example to us. Of the life of faith. They're not witnesses as in observers. They're witnesses as in those who bear testimony. So that's why we encourage you to read your Bibles. So that when you read about all the Old Testament people who went through stuff. And all the New Testament people who went through stuff. You are encouraged. Their life bears witness. Their life bears testimony. It's basically saying, hey, we did it. So can you. Right. That's what he's talking about. In fact, I thought of this last December. A bunch of us did the Spartan race. Right. Up at Lake Castaic. We did the Spartan race. So if you're going to do the Spartan race, if we say, hey, come do it. We're not going to hover over you while you race. What we're going to do is we're going to bear witness and we're going to say, hey, we did it last December. You can do it. If we can do it, you can do it. That's what he's talking about. When you read the Bible and you read Old Testament characters, you're supposed to be encouraged. You're supposed to be encouraged, right? S. Lewis Johnson says this. So as we look at these men and women, there should come to our minds this conviction that the God of yesterday is also the God of today. In other words, the things that God did through Enoch, through Noah, through Abraham, through Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, the things that God did through them, he is able to do today. Oh, yeah, that's, that's really cool, Pastor. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, mm. Ooh, 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 mm. that's cool. That's cool. Uh, come on. I mean... It's the difference between assent and amen at this point. You can assent to that or you can amen that. Amen. Because there's some of you, there's some of you who are going through some stuff and you need that list of people right now. How many of you are going through the reading plan? And you've hung in there half the year. Hang in there, then the hands are dripping, <laughs> you know, the, the, the percentage is dropping as we move. Hang in there. If you're, if, and if you choose to pick up, it's still it. We're in Job right now. I hope you're encouraged by Job. His struggles, his struggles, I mean, it's a very honest, authentic, laid bare struggle. He's struggling with God. God, what are you doing? And he's got people around him saying, you sin. this is all your fault, da 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 da, da. And Job's like, God, I don't get this. You know, everyone with all these wicked people are getting their way. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Right? Job's a prime example of where you get encouragement from. About who God is, really. Because in the end of the story, right? If you watch the video, God makes it real clear. What's what? It's all for our, it's all for our purposes. So when you read about Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, you're supposed to bring it present tense. Because it's the same God. Amen? And here, let me make it even more personal. It's the same Father. Not God in generic sense. The Bible says if you put your faith in Jesus, you are born into the family of God. You're a child of God. So now we're talking about Father, not just God as in God, somewhere out there in the universe. We're talking about Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. Present tense stuff, right? And then it says in Hebrews, let us strip off every weight. That slows us down, or in version, some versions says, let us lay aside. What does this mean? It means to, to put or take something away from its normal location, to put it out of the way, to throw it off, right? So we're running this race. Hebrew says, you got to start throwing off some weight, right? If you've ever seen the Olympics, the guys go out there, ladies go out there with their sweats on, and then and they do a little warm-up behind the blocks. They take off their jacket and their sweatpants. They, they just go down to their uniform. They put everything aside. They're taking stuff off. Right. Lay aside every weight that hinders you, that encumbers you. That's an impediment. Right. Second Timothy two four, kind of same idea. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Right. It says every weight that slows us down. No exception. You and I are supposed to inventory our life. And see if there's even one. Thing that is hindering, impeding encumbering your spiritual walk or your race it says every weight what is weight literally means a bulk or mass a hindrance or an impediment so what in your life what in my life what in our race is a weight an impediment a hindrance to you running now we're not talking about sinful things yet because that comes later in the verse We're just talking about things, honestly, that you and I might consider harmless, innocent, amusing, entertaining, a hobby, just a fun social relationship, social media. It's legit. See, now it gets real. Now it gets real. What in that bag do you need to lay aside Because, I don't know about you, I can get up in the morning and when it's quiet and I have the house to myself, I'm pretty good at getting my heart to point to wanting Jesus most. But it's when no one's awake. I can do pretty good about starting my day right here, right? But when my dog barks for no reason and something is broken overnight... Like the fridge doesn't work or, you know, someone left some food out and it's spoiled or whatever. I forgot to do something this fast. My needle that just a little while ago was pointed to Jesus. I don't know about you, but my needle just starts doing this pretty darn quick. Anyone? Isn't it amazing? Like I wake up, I have this beautiful quiet time. And then I check my emails. Ding! Right. And I'm like, and all of a sudden I'm worried, and all of a sudden I got to deal with this, and all of a sudden I got this email, and then I got a text, and I got it then. And right, how many of you? It's so nice, so simple. If only, if only, Lord, I could have an eternal quiet time. My needle would always point to you. Who would agree to that? If it was just me, myself, and I, most of it, not even perfectly, because how many of you have been in prayer? If you're really honest, now most of you better raise your hand. And your mind wanders in prayer. So even in prayer, your needle's doing this. It's crazy. Even in prayer, I'm like, I like seriously. I was praying. When was that? Like last night or something. And I'm like thinking of the NBA finals. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like wondering if the Raptors. Like, how are the Raptors doing? Are they? I'm like, are you serious? I'm talking to the God of the universe, and I'm wondering about how the Raptors and the Bucks game is going. I'm like, right? So how do we keep this, right? We gotta you gotta you gotta be honest. You gotta say, what is in there that that is hindering me? When I get up, what, what am I allowing in to spin this dial off of where I want it to be? Right? I love this quote by A. W. Pink. A bag of gold would be as great a handicap to a runner as a bag of lead. You see, a lot of us in believers, we pack our bags with a lot of good stuff. And we, we excuse it. We justify it. We ask, it's good. It's good. It's not hurting anyone. It's not sin. You know, you know, there's, it's not sin. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Except if you're trying to run. What, 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 what do you need to lay aside that quote unquote might fit the good legitimate, but it's hindering you from the best. From the best. Right? And so, again, I'm thinking through this. God's challenging me this week. And I think of my brother, Bill. And my brother, Bill, a little while ago, went on this crazy hike. (laughs) There's his hike. Come on up, Bill. Help us out. here. There's Lake Tahoe at this bottom. This is his GPS he was wearing. And so every once in a while, they have a a waypoint thing. Come on. You can grab that mic right there. So you started around Tahoe, right? And you ended up, where is that? Um... Uh, Etna, Etna, Etna. Wairika. How many miles was that? About 480. 480 miles. One way Walking, one way. One, one way, right? Yeah, one way. And 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 it was a variety of topography. Go ahead, I right. Just so you know, that you know that's again that's, those dots were waypoints off his GPS. So he he had this little blog, and we were like following him and wondering how he was doing. But I share this with you because... You need, you need to get a life. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we had the where's Bill. Where's the where's Bill. bill you know? So I share this with you because there was a bunch of things he had to deal with on this journey. Now, he, he, he encountered an injury. The, the ultimate journey was, how it was supposed to be how long? Uh, 1,600 miles. But 1,600 I, miles. I didn't make it. Was the journey. Yeah. But, you know, something happened. That's life. And that just yeah. it just happens. But 400 plus, right? And I got so educated as, as I was watching him and listening to him prepare because he, he carried – is this oh, the yeah. one you actually yeah, carried? Yeah. Show and tell. So this, this is what he carried for 400-plus miles, right? And so we had these wonderful discussions. I even went to his house one time and saw his man cave with all his toys laid out. <laughs> Cause he's like a little kid at Christmas here. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. But we
0: had this incredible discussion about weight, about weight, right? Yeah. And so, Weight's what's important. the difference between the you said the ultra and the?
1: Well, see, so if you're if you're a, uh, you don't want to carry more than you need, and so you know when you learn how to be a a light backpacker and then an ultralight backpacker, you know you start measuring things that you're carrying with you in in ounces, and then
0: Grams, wow. grams, grams. Like with a scale, like he's weighing grams of what he's going to carry. Yeah, you weigh every, you weigh everything. You weigh everything. So, yeah. so what was your choice? What did you decide to bring?
1: Well, there's there's some things. Um, you know, you got to filter water, for example. So I brought my water bottle. And you know, you I used to use a pump years ago, uh, and but that weighed about sixteen, seventeen ounces. Uh, and then I got a, a water filter system, and that weighed about 12 ounces. And so I just converted to a little on the top of your water bottle filter, which is only 2.2 ounces. That's the water because you got to filter water.
0: So, so how many ounces did you save?
1: So I saved about uh, eight, nine, ten ounces. Yeah.
0: Because you don't need that. Ooh. I mean, I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, I'm like, wow. Okay, eight to ten ounces.
1: Yeah. I'm even
0: okay. Keep going. (laughs) Eight to ten ounces. Okay.
1: So here I brought this for you because this was my very first backpack. But this backpack weighs almost six pounds empty. Okay. This backpack, this backpack weighs twenty four ounces. Okay. Okay. So that's important. Okay. Well, you want me to keep going?
0: Yeah. Let's just do. Let's do this one. Oh, this one. Let's do the toilet paper because this is like a real question. Four hundred miles right there, right? There there, there weren't there weren't like porta potties and there weren't like so I know everyone's curious (laughs) how does this work how does this work out there so that's the reality
1: okay okay Okay. you know after after coffee in the morning that's the reality (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying it's okay five five ounces so that's that's, yeah that's five ounces of toilet paper you gotta and you gotta have that but. Um, How many
0: of you knew your toilet paper weighed five ounces? A roll of toilet paper. You do now. Yeah, now you know. Five ounces. Okay, Um, but But let's let's talk um, the journey. But the journey. But but in the journey,
1: you don't want the whole roll of toilet paper because what you do is you decide that you're going to take ten squares a day. So (laughs) a week's week's worth of toilet paper is 22 grams.
0: (laughs) Ten squares a day. That's what you get. So...
1: (laughs) That's a lot of weight. Next reductions. summer we're
0: going to take that trip and we're taking sign ups. So if you uh, would like to uh <laughs> 10 squares a day, you'll be like a black market babe. Hey, yeah, I got extra. So, yeah,
1: so I don't know how far you want to go, but I mean, you know, every single thing including um, you know, some of the some of the uh, straps on your backpack can be can be cut off because if you can cut a an inch or two off, that'll save a couple of grams and no, seriously. Yeah. So, you know, you can decide to carry all this stuff, and everything is good. You know, there's pots and pans that I used to take, and now the entire cooking system, the stove and the fuel and the pot and my cup and my titanium spork uh, only, only weighs five and a half ounces for the whole thing. And so um, it's about light, because you're talking about hindrances, That is a hindrance. That weighs a lot. Yeah. And I'm too too old old for for that anymore. Just so
0: you know. You can't have my toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) That would get you to, like, Mexico from here, that roll, huh? If you were, like, to, like, count up the sheets, that would get you, like, easy. That's a lot of sheets. sheets.
1: Thank you. you. Are you done with me? Yes. Thank you, Bill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh Uh-oh. There it is. Whoa. So... So you get it, right? He had a vision, and he had to work backward. He had to figure out, what do I need to do to succeed? Well, primarily, it's about how much weight I'm going to carry. And then he really got serious. He got committed. He was willing to do what needed to be done in order to meet the vision. And so now it goes from ounces to grams because it all matters, And I think in Hebrews 12, right, let us lay aside every weight, right? So some of us, we're carrying a six-pound pack. Now, that might be by choice. Some of us, we don't even know we don't have to. We don't even know there's another pack. We've accepted the normal in our life. And some of us have stuff filled in our packs that you maybe even never thought you didn't have to have in there. And you're just trudging along, following Jesus with your six-pound, whatever-plus bag. Right? The crazy thing is you can choose. You have the choice to lay aside every weight that hinders. That hinders. Now, here's the thing. When Bill was talking about this and we were talking about the trip, he was excited and he was joyfully, excitedly, like, look what I got! I saved two ounces, and he was—he was really happy. I'm not doing it, so I'm like, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, because I'm not vested in it. It doesn't matter to me because it's his journey. And and sometimes the world looks at us as Christians and and looks at what we give up. Oh, you can't do this. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you guys live this very life. And they don't get the joy that we're willingly, joyfully laying them aside because we have a bigger vision. We have a bigger vision, and so we're joyfully laying aside stuff, and the world's like, what are you doing? What do you mean you don't want to go out with us on Friday? i got a bigger vision. I don't need to go party. I don't need to put that stuff. I don't need to spend my money on that, right? What's your vision? Maybe today you've you got to get relit. you got to get reignited with the vision of godliness, because you, some of us, you're so consumed, you're looking down, you're so consumed with the stuff of the earth that you lost the vision and you don't have a big enough vision that gets you excited to say yes and no to things anymore. You don't have a vision anymore, right? How many of you as parents or you as a kid, how many of you have ever had a toy? Like you might have a kid at home and they have a toy and they, it's, it's mine. Anyone? Right. And nothing you can do. It's mine. No, it's mine. How do you get them to give that up? Offer them something better. Anyone ever seen the, the miracle? Mine, 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 mine. Want some candy? Sure. And you're like, do you get it? So as believers, get a bigger vision and you're doing this to God and the things of the earth are just dropped. They're just dropped. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a, give me that, give me you give me that. That's what people, a lot of think, people think Christianity is like prying stuff. Well, don't talk to the pastor. He's going to pry that from you. No, what I want you to do is I want you to fall so in love with Jesus. I want you to make Jesus what you want most, that you'll do this and the things of the earth. Just kind of do this. The world's not going to understand that. The world will not understand that. They're going to mock you. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're like, oh, man. Right. You're hardcore. No, I just love Jesus. I just want Jesus most. And because I want him most, I'm like this. And it reorders everything. Right. I love this quote says the Christian runner must rid himself even of innocent things which might retard him. And all that does not help hinders. It is by running. He learns what these things are. So long as he stands, he does not feel that they are burdensome and hampering. Here's what that means. I can put on a six-pound pack. How do you do this, Billy? I could do a six-pound pack. And if I'm just standing, kind of not a big deal. But if I decide to go on a journey, I'm going to feel the six pounds. The difference is whether I'm standing or moving. So a lot of us carry a lot of stuff in our packs spiritually because you ain't moving. You're not moving. Once you see Jesus is come follow me and you're like, where are we going? Just follow. How long is this going to be? Just follow. Suddenly you're going to be concerned what you're carrying. Suddenly it's going to matter. Suddenly you're going to want to be laying aside the weights because you're moving. See, for, for some of us, you got to get a vision. Your first step to, hey, maybe God's like, hey, did you lose your first love? Have you lost your vision? Have you lost your zeal? Others of you? You've just been standing around carrying a pack. And for some of you, it's like, he's like, take a step. But my pack's heavy. That's the point. You'll feel the weight of what you're carrying when you start running. And then it'll matter, and then you'll joyfully get rid of it. Then you'll start joyfully just getting rid of it, right? First Timothy 4. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. That's what we're talking about the church. We get all in our head. We want to discuss this, study this, study that, study that, go deep, da, 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 da. But we don't train ourselves. We're not doing anything, right? Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the world to come. I like to listen to a variety of podcasts and everything. And one guy yesterday said something that in passing, I don't even know who it was, but it just struck me. He said, you know what? We have to get past, woe is me, and we got to get to, oh, it's me. We got to get past, woe is me, and we have to be honest and get to the place like, oh, it's me. See, a lot of us as Christians, we live in circumstance. Woe is me. It's my burden, it's my cross to bear. Woe is me. And we never really take the time to be honest and see God and let Him speak truth to us and go, Oh, it's me. It's me. I'm carrying stuff I don't need to carry. I'm choosing. It's me. This is on me. So the question for you today is Are you living in woe is me? Would you like to go past, Oh, it's me, to like do something? You gotta be honest. You gotta be honest, you gotta stop living in circumstance. You gotta be truthful and say, am I carrying stuff? Do I have I packed my life so full that I'm just distracted? That i everything's diluted out, right? A guy named Dr. Richard Swenson wrote a book on overload. He says this the spontaneous tendency of our culture is to unceasingly add detail to our lives. One more problem, one more commitment, one more expectation, one more debt, one more change, one more job, one more decision. We must now, we must now deal with more things per person than at any other time in history. Yet we can comfortably handle only so many details in our lives. Exceeding this threshold will result in disorganization or frustration. Overloading occurs when the requirements upon us exceed that which we are able to bear. For example, camels are able to carry great loads. If, however, a mere straw is placed on a camel, maximally loaded down, its back will be broken. The back is not broken by the proverbial straw, it's broken by overload. How many of us are just overloaded? Overloaded. Right? And that one more thing is the straw that broke the camel's back. we have just so used to adding one more thing and then technology. We got one more website. We got one more media to check. We got one more comment. We got one more, one more, one more, one more, one more. Right? And then he says this in Hebrews hey, if you want to run this race successfully, you've got to lay this stuff aside. You've got to be willing to check what's in your pack. Right? And the crazy thing is the world even gets this. The world gets this, right? And so, three months ago, my daughter, one of my daughters, is watching TV, and I'm like, who's that? Her name's Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo? Who's Marie Kondo? Well, Marie Kondo, you know, if you don't know her, she's world renowned now. She's a Japanese organizing consultant author. She uh, she began her tidying consultant business as a 19-year-old student, right? She travels around the world helping people transform cluttered homes, right? She's a best-selling author. She has a Netflix. That's what my daughter was watching. She was listed as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People, Marie Kondo. She She helps people tidy. And if you go to her website, which I did, this is what it says, quote, tidy your space, transform your life. The world. The world gets how clutter and disorganization messes up your life. Now, here's the crazy thing. Marie Kondo, and it's actually a wonderful thing at a certain level. You know what? She's vision-driven because she challenges people who want to follow her method to choose joy. So she presents the vision of joy. She says, those of you who choose joy... Now let's work backwards and let's start decluttering so you will you'll, you get joy. That's her whole deal. That's her whole deal. She's vision and commitment driven. Marie Kondo and people around the world. Like, I want joy. I want to have a joyful life. Okay, so rule number one, commit yourself to tidying up. Number two, imagine your ideal lifestyle. Commitment and vision. Commitment and vision. Marie Kondo. Millions around the world have committed to the vision of joy and now they're decluttering and they're tidying up and they're saying goodbye to things in their house to fulfill the vision of joy. I was thinking, I'm like, man, if only the church could get that. If only the church could get the vision of living hope, the vision of heaven and declutter our spiritual lives, tidy up. What do you need to get rid of? And you know what? Some of the stuff you need to get rid of is actually stuff just stuff like how many of you have ever cleaned up your room like your backyard garage and it was so like that hoarder type of thing it's all clean and you just feel better you're like well you need to do that spiritually you need to have a spiritual like cleanup day what are you carrying what are you carrying what's in your bag that you just need to say goodbye to for the sake of the vision right For some of us, it's even like real practical, like even, for instance, like debt. Some of us, just the normal is to have debt. And you think that, well, everyone has debt, don't they? No. But you have that in your bag as just a normal. You can choose not to. There's steps you can take. Yeah, does it require commitment? Yes. Does it require discipline? Yes. Does it require change? Yes. But if you have a bigger vision... You gladly say no and yes to things. It's all vision-driven, right? It's all vision-driven. I love this. and We'll close with the, the The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, ran the race, right? And he says this in 2 Timothy. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful and now the prize awaits me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return and the prize is not just for me but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing you see it's not just for paul it's for you and me i love that i have fought the good fight i have finished the race how many would love to say that at the end of your time on this planet in my time on ministry i've had the privilege really the challenge many times the privilege to do many memorials Many funerals, and to speak to people leading up to their death. And depending on where the, with the Lord, it's a radical change sometimes, a radical difference in the nature of the conversations. And this morning, here's the, here's the wonderful thing you can choose how you run. That's the whole point of living hope and what we've been talking about for almost two months now. You have the choice. You have the supernatural power to choose how you run, starting right now, how you run. Because there's a lot out of of our control. There's a lot out of our control. I I remember a dear friend of mine, Larry, and he had cancer. And uh, I remember the day that I went with him. I would go down with him periodically to get his treatment in Oxnard. And I remember the day that um, the doctor shared what the doctor shares at certain points, that you only have a certain amount of time. And me and Larry were were tight. We were buddies. And he shared. We were at the the elevator. He came out of the office, and he said, "Ah, this is what the doctor said. I'm like, okay. And then we just got quiet. We just didn't talk. And uh, so we're driving back, and I'll never forget this. uh, We're right there going under the bridge at California Street, and we hadn't said a word. And he said, there was just so much more I wanted to do. And this was a beautiful man, a full man, just a great role model of a husband, a dad, a man of God, elder. You served together in youth, and you know, I uh, I think about that, and I thought about this, and, and Cindy, you know how much I love him, and I share that kind of moment of transparency because we don't know. We just don't know. And I've taken that moment and that journey with him through cancer and the treatments and up until that very special moment when he allowed me to be there for this appointment as a reminder to me and then a reminder to all of you through him. Run the race. Run to win. Every day. Run to win. You don't know. You just don't. You don't know. And run to win so that whenever it happens, you can say like Paul, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. And the radical thing is, it's in your choice to do it. It's in your power. It's in your power as a believer. As a believer. Is it easy? No. Does it take change? Yes. Does it take commitment? Yes. Does it take perseverance? Yes. Does it take discipline? Yes. Are you going to stumble and bumble? Yes. But keep running. Keep running. Turn to the person you're gonna say, turn to the person next to say, keep running. Just keep running. Amen? Let's pray together. Billy, we're gonna, we'll change it up. We'll just go right into communion with this song. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for my brother Larry and the privilege for him to minister to us. This morning as a great reminder to run every day to win, to run, to win. And today the focus is we got to lay stuff aside. We just got to be brutal. We got to be honest. We got to we got to be we got to be really objective about even good Innocent, harmless, legitimate things that quite frankly are hindrances, that are impediments, that are encumbrances, that are really just obstacles to our running the race well. And so Lord, uh, I just want to pause right here and, and give us in this room, those listening, just a moment. To let you maybe speak very practically about even one thing that needs to be laid aside. One thing. Practical, real thing right now. Maybe it's a secret they've been hiding. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's something they've excused or justified. But through the Holy Spirit, I ask you make it real. What's the weight? What's the impediment? What's the encumbrance that needs to be laid aside so that we can run well together? What is it, Lord? And if God puts it on your heart, write it down. Open your eyes, get a pen or pencil, it's okay. Okay write it right down right now in the sermon notes, wherever you put in your Bible, write it down, make it real. What needs to be laid aside? Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Just write it down right now. Make a plan. Drive the stake in the ground. Write it down. What needs to be laid aside? What do you need to do to run well?